0: Good morning Gator Nation. Welcome to what feels kind of like a Christmas come early episode of the in all kinds of weather forecast. As everybody knows by now, Florida has long ago fired Dan Mullen as the head football coach. In fact, so long ago that it feels like it was 20 years ago now. So much has happened since then. The Gators have played a game since then against a rival. They've won that game. We'll talk about that. They have a replacement. For the, the now-fired Dan Mullen, and we will talk much more about that very shortly. But first things first, I am your host Neil Schulman. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at All Kinds Weather. You can also follow me on YouTube and Facebook. Just type in "In All Kinds of Weather" and you will see me pop up. Of course, I am joined as usual by Dustin Smith, my co-host. You can follow him at I A K O W Dustin. As always, of course, we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send underprivileged Florida Gator fans to the swamp. We did so in 2021 with a candidate that we do not think could have possibly been more perfect for what we do, named Ontario Jones, a military veteran who will tragically soon be losing his eyesight. We got him to the swamp for the first time in his life to watch the Gators beat the balls this year. The Gators didn't win a whole lot of games this year, but they did, they did win that one. So Ontario got to see that, and we're looking to do so again in 2022, at least once, possibly twice. If you would like to help us do so, please go to GatorGoodFoundation.com, click on the donate button, and send us some funds so we can make it happen for another deserving Gator fan or fans. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One is it's a veteran owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country, them by giving the business, and two, it's run by a Florida Gator. So yes, they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. And now on for our featured presentation. So much has happened that we don't have time to talk about all of it because otherwise this podcast would be five or six hours long. So with that said, a bunch of quick things to go through for us. Uh, we do like to keep everyone updated on everything that happens. So we're going to just run through everything that we've been able to keep track of in a, in a lightning round-esque segment um, that we're going to call Vine Talk. If you remember back in the day, there used to be an app called Vine where you could upload videos up to six seconds. They'd play on a continuous loop. So that's the idea here, except for the purpose of, of even numbers, uh, we'll extend the time limit to 10 seconds. So kind of like uh, the rundown at the end of part of the interruption with uh, with Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon. So 10 seconds per topic. Um, Dustin, I hope you're ready to get to all these little mini topics today i hope you're you're doing well hope you're strapped in and ready to go
1: hey i'm i'm doing phenomenal and uh i don't want to give away too much but at the end of the podcast i'm certainly going to express how good i feel right now i mean considering we beat florida state we have a new head coach who seems to actually care about recruiting and uh by the task that that. Uh, You've so got, kindly given me to to help run the recruiting handle on Twitter. Um, y'all know how much I care about recruiting, and apparently I care more about recruiting than our former coach, Dan Mullen. Oh, but,
0: there's a shot. Yeah, shot across well, the bow right there. Well,
1: well, well, Neil, apparently before the FSU game, it wasn't recruiting season. Now we're finally in recruiting season, but <sighs> Dan Mullen is no longer the coach. And apparently based on Twitter, he's now uh, – He's now uh, sp- able to spend more time with his family which is positive it's a good thing but yeah um speaking of which let's uh so we- Dustin, we'll get to doesn't yeah. all right
0: hold on one second we- we're gonna get into it all but let's just let's just take one second to for me to acknowledge that I, th- there are things that are gonna pop up in, in the Dan Mullen postmortem that are inevitably going to piss me off and I'll probably sound off on social media with that with that attitude and with that mood uh, could go going right through the screen of your device. But by and large, I'm sad that, that Dan Mullen didn't make it here. I don't take any joy in heaping on him. Muschamp and McIlwain were different. They just outright sucked at what they did and they went out of their way to piss off the fans. I mean, Mullen did too, but he was responsible for so much positive, not the least of which was two national championships for us back in 2006, 2008. Yeah, there was, there was stuff he did wrong, but he was responsible for so much good that I, I can't find joy in just heaping on, uh, on top of him in, in his moment of, uh, of being down. So um, we'll, we'll get to all that, uh, all, all that, that, that Dan Mullen post-mortem stuff. Eventually we, we have a whole off season to do it in, um, but let's Most get certainly. to Vine talk. So, First Vine Talk topic. Dustin, remember we each have 10 seconds to go through what we think about this. First, Tim Brewster tweeting out, ripping and running in South Florida, spreading the Gator love.
1: What do you think that means? 10 seconds, go. Tim Brewster is an absolute madman on the recruiting trail, and I hope it bodes well for his chances to be back on the staff. 100%
0: agree. I will add that I think it does mean that he will be back. I'm crossing my fingers, not going to count my chickens before they hatch. I love Brewster. I would love to see him back. I am hoping that that is what that means. Okay, so on a similar note, Kristen Robinson was out in Birmingham recruiting former Florida commit Shamar James. Do you think either of them will wind up in Gainesville next year?
1: One will and one won't, and I'll leave it to you to decide which one is which? Yeah, it's good. I think C-Rob's coming back.
0: I love to see C-Rob without the shackles of Todd Grantham. I know he was a Grantham disciple. Uh, sometimes he did Grantham's dirty work for him, but that's an, a subject for another day. I am excited to see what C-Rob can do without Grantham's tyranny uh, reigning over him. So, Gerald Mincy enters the transfer portal. He committed a personal foul penalty against FSU. Got 15 yards uh, for that. And Day later, he is in the transfer portal. What do you think?
1: Not to uh, pull a quote from Dan Mullen, but I don't think Mincy is part of the Gators standard. And I'm excited to see the type of offensive line that Napier puts together. So, as they always say, it's all business.
0: Yep. I met Mincy twice. Very, very, very nice kid. Uh, I. I don't think there was another choice for him. I think Napier is making a statement here. Whether he forced this or not, Napier is going to more than make up for the deficit that Florida loses with Mincy. So best of luck, Gerald, but this kind of had to happen. Um, A two-pronged one. We'll go one at a time. First, Brenton Cox is rumored to be returning in 2022 as first put out there by Saturday Down South's Neil Blackman. How do you feel about another year of Brenton Cox? after a very, very up-and-down 2021 season?
1: Well, I think Brandon Cox has proven to be an inconsistent player. I think if he can bring consistency to his game, I think he'd be a monster in the SEC at whatever position he plays. I certainly hope he's playing in his ideal position of defensive end.
0: Yep, I agree with that. Uh the, the four sacks he had against FSU definitely show what he's capable of doing. That is going to be so much fun to run through that tape when I go to do the FSU Concord video this year. Um he's he's a monster, but he's gotta he's gotta prove it on more than the plays that he feels like proving it on. He can't give up mid pursuit. He's gotta make it a way of life to go 110%. Uh speaking of this, I do believe that this. Return of Brenton Cox rumor has at least something to do with something else that happened in Gator Nation, and that is the entrance of both Lloyd Summerall and
1: Chris Bogle into the NCAA transfer portal. Dustin, what do you think about that? It's sad. Um, I w- I've always been a Bogle fan ever since he committed to be a Gator, and it's, um, it's going to be sad to see him go. Uh, but again, like I said to a previous statement about somebody transferring away, It's all business.
0: I talked to Chris a little bit. um, I think after the Tennessee game, it was. No, it was after Alabama. It was after Alabama. Uh, He seemed very happy at Florida. He seemed like he loved being a part of the Gator team. So it it is very surprising to me to see him go, especially with Zach Carter leaving. So we believe he is, at least. He could, in theory, come back. But uh, best of luck, Chris. I, I don't understand it, but I still wish you all the best. And as for Lloyd Summerall, I don't know him as well. Uh, Chris was a little bit closer with my connections down there in, uh, in James Houston and Zach Carter, so I knew him better. I, I can't say I know Lloyd personally, uh, but nonetheless, he seemed like a great kid. No one had anything bad to say about him. Uh, definitely a talented kid. Uh, Lloyd and your dad, big dog Summerall, the only six-star recruit in the history of recruiting. I wish you all the best wherever you go next. Um, speaking of which former Florida Gator linebacker, James Houston, the fourth wins the Southwestern conference newcomer of the year award at Jackson state. think he made the right choice, Dustin.
1: Well, um, that's to be debated. I think he made the right choice for him based on the situation that, that he experienced as a Gator definitely wasn't up to par with what he should have experienced. And, uh, I'm proud of him.
0: Yep. It's pretty much the same thoughts on that. Uh, i also point out that he is the, uh, or he was up for the FCS defensive player of the year award, uh, the Buck Buchanan award. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he, he's been moved to defensive end. He's a monster at rushing the passer, Jackson state uh, defensive coordinator, Dennis Thurman thought he would be of more use to them by putting him on the end and having him fly around the sea gap to the passer. And he's been dynamite. So, all right. Talking about the coach that Florida now has, getting a little ahead of ourselves, but Billy Napier is the Gators' head coach. He is rumored to have his eyes set on some high-profile names for his coaching staff. Dustin, give me two names you would love to see him bring to Gainesville
1: that, that are realistic. For offensive coordinator, I want Tom Herman, and for defensive coordinator, I want Doug Belk.
0: Well, you stole both of mine. I don't...
1: I mean Todd Tom Herman,
0: I thought was probably the best Texas coach since Mac Brown. He's definitely a, a very knowledgeable offensive coach. So I, I mean to have him calling the plays would be an obvious plus. Uh I I love Doug Belk. I'll go someone different there just to be different from you. I, lo- I want Jim Knowles. I, I want Doug Belk. But either one of those would be very good. Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State, um, Doug Belk from Houston, either one would be great. Last one. Florida receiver Jacob Copeland put out a very cryptic tweet on Wednesday that simply said, let's do it, with a
1: sunglasses emoji. What
0: in the world do you suppose that means, Dustin?
1: Um, I'm going to go a little outside the box, and uh, it's uh, bowl season. I think he's ready to wake up in the morning and, and uh, put some Cheerios in his bowl and eat some cereal
0: luxury that the people in Tallahassee cannot afford these days, sad, sad, sad life. Um, I think that means he's coming back. Maybe maybe I'm jumping the gun. Maybe I'm connecting some dots that don't have business being connected, but I'm going to take the leap of faith and say, I think that just might mean he's going to be back in 2022. So that's it for Vine Talk. We do have a full off season to talk in much more depth about any and everything that we just Vine talked about. I'm sure that more topics will come along. Well, in fact, I know they will because Florida's going to go on the recruiting trail and land some kids and we'll talk about them. There are probably going to be some transfers. We'll talk about them when they happen. going to be some big decisions made by some guys, uh, some juniors slash COVID seniors who might be coming back or going to the pros or might be transferring. All that and more we'll talk about. more detail but today we have two major topics to discuss that are going to get our full attention number one florida beat fsu that's always going to dominate pretty much any pod that we do the week or days after except for the one in which the florida gators hire a new coach which is pod topic number two today that we are going to spend the majority of our time on I have to think that this was one of the more meaningless Florida FSU games ever. Yeah, there was the additional stake of the winner going to a bowl game and the loser going home. But I, I think even during the game and the week leading up to it, Florida fans were by and large more interested in who the next head coach would be than they were in beating FSU. But nonetheless, rivalry game. Gators won. That's three in a row over the Seminoles. Dustin we watched it together. This was the first time you and I actually watched a Florida Gator game together. Um, We did it from section three in the swamp. The Gators beat FSU 24 21. It was very, very nerve wracking towards the end of the game and and throughout the first half, but the Gators did pull away. So Dustin, we'll, we'll keep this fairly quick because Billy Napier is going to dominate the, the time on this pod. But, Give me, give me two takeaways from Florida FSU
1: for you. Well, Neil, first off, before getting to that, I just briefly want to say it was a pleasure watching the game with you. Um, I know uh, you were a bit more nervous than I was, and I know FSU's coach, I know his last name is Norvell, but his last name might as well be Murphy because according to Murphy's law, what can go wrong will go wrong. And apparently, oh, my
0: God, what a stretch. But I like it. Apparently, I like it.
1: I'm not. I'm not scolding you. I like that. <laughs> well, apparently, um, whatever could have gone wrong for FSU did go wrong. I mean, for the first half, they were. They certainly looked like the better team, especially with how horrible Emory Jones was playing. Um, but Florida did just enough to hold them off. Um, not only did Anthony. Richardson come in and lead the Gators on two touchdown drives. And of course, one of those was definitely led more so by Damian Pierce and his uh his maniac uh running back skill. And I'll leave it at that because I know you'll probably want to discuss something specific that happened with him. The Gators did just enough. And uh of course, my favorite play of the game. You know how much we talk about special teams here, and uh, it was the whiff. At Ben Hill Griff. yes, and uh, who can forget the uh, the play that will live in infamy, especially for the FSU faithful, um, or non faithful at this point. <laughs> I think they're I think they're looking to find and see. Uh, they might they might they might become USC fans now that um Lincoln Riley went over to USC. Anyhow, um, that play was hilarious, and you were incredibly nervous, and I know that I was admittedly a little bit nervous too but I wasn't as nervous as you because I fully expected something like that to happen. And it did. And, uh, we had a great time watching the replay.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, so that, that,
0: that, that line that Dustin just, um, just dropped for those of y'all listening, uh, this is so, somewhat of an inside joke because he was, when he says FSU fans are going to have to find a new team to root for, he, he says this because during the game we were, getting an earful of the the war chant and the tomahawk chop from the fsu fans who were there i will say that they do travel well i i hate everything about fsu at at an uh at an atomic level but i will give them credit they they definitely travel well all all game long you hear and then in the fourth quarter when it's all over and the fan the fsu fans start walking out i started you know, repeating it to them. I wanted to make sure that they hadn't forgotten. I know that their minds are very simple, but I, th- I thought maybe the loss had re- somehow removed the, uh, the, the four or five different notes from their memory. So I started doing it back to them to, just to teach them again. I started going, ah, 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 and they looked at me like I just dropped in the stadium from Jupiter. Like I was one of the skydivers that just fell into my seat there. Like they didn't know what I was talking about. No, they didn't know what I was saying. That's not even English. That's like caveman talk. So they, they looked at me like they didn't know what happened. And, and Dustin's made a comment like, oh, I guess they're, I guess they're already on to their next team because you know, FSU fans are, are spirited. They're into the, the pageantry and the camaraderie of the game. They should be giving it right back to you. They should be proudly doing that chop on the way out, but because they've stopped doing it, I guess that means they're looking for another team. So that's the background behind that. Um, The game. I actually disagree with with what you said about about FSU looking like the better team for the first half. I think Florida looked like the better team for the first half. They just had, by far, the worst of the two quarterbacks. But by and large, I don't think we learned anything about either team that we didn't already know. Damian Pierce getting more carries proved gave him more chances to prove what exactly he could do. I don't like the the rule where when the helmet comes off it's a penalty if you keep participating. I understand it. I understand why the rule is in place. It's a safety issue. All the new studies that have you know that that show CTE linked to football these days. Trust me, I'm all for anything that you can think of to help stop CTE or, or concussions or any type of head injuries, but think about it from a practical standpoint. The defensive players who are sprinting towards the offensive player or or vice versa even, guys who are sprinting towards the other team's player whose helmet has already come off aren't going to stop when they're two yards away when their helmet is on and then when they're a yard and a half away, their helmet suddenly pops off. Like, they can't stop themselves. They're going to hit the guy. So the guy whose helmet came off is going to get – Plastered, regardless of whether he continues to try to run forward, or if he just stands there, or if he just falls to the ground, he's going to get pummeled anyway. He might as well get to choose the angle at which he is popped from, and he may as well deliver some of the pop back to reduce the impact that he feels. I mean, if you're standing, if, if you're standing right upright and you're not moving, and someone sprints right into you at you know. 15 miles an hour with full pads on and everything, it's probably going to hurt worse than if you are delivering some of the force yourself. Dustin, you're, you're the physics guy. You can probably back me up on this. So that to me, that's just stupid because the guy's going to get hit anyway. He might as well choose how it happens. So I don't know, but that that's dumb. Thankfully he scored anyway, a couple of plays later. Um, I, I think we got the type of game that I was expecting. We got the result that I was not expecting. I, I fully thought that Emery Jones was old. going to lose the game for Florida. That's why I projected 31-6 for FSU. Uh, he did throw an early touchdown old. pass. He did hit a couple of checkdowns. Uh, he just did not look good. The, the tape was terrible. I mean, the, the three interceptions, one was worse than the next, but the one, the throw that got him benched was when – he had a receiver open and he threw it right off of the trailing beaten. The guy was beaten. The beaten linebackers helmet. If that guy turns around, it's pick number four in 32 minutes of game action. I was not counting on Greg Knox pulling him at any point. I got a text uh, the morning of the game saying, Richardson is not hundred percent. And he, he played that game at about 60, 70% health. So, I was fully expecting Knox to do what Mullen did and not ever make a quarterback change. So when Richardson came in the game, I got a lot more hopeful and sure enough, the offense moved the ball. They didn't look perfect, but they did enough to win the game and they get credit for that. But on the other side of the ball or on the other side of the field, how bad is FSU, man? I mean, geez, let's, let, let's tick off the things they did wrong. Their punter, Alex Mastromano, shanks a punt just as badly as Jeremy Crawshaw did against Missouri. There's an offensive pass interference that kills one drive that was not needed. The guy was going to get open anyway, not by as much as he did, but he was going to get open anyway without the OPI call. There was a ball that was snapped over McKenzie Milton's head. He had to flag it down for almost a 20-yard loss. So I think it was, a, I think it was officially a 16- or 17-yard loss. Uh, anyway, killed the drive. There was an interception Mackenzie Milton threw. He was running to his left, and he badly overshot it. Easy interception um, for Rashad Torrance. Then there were – I mean, their offensive line was just terrible. I mean, throughout the whole game, Brandon Cox feasted on them. He got four sacks. Shout out to him for that. Um, And then, you know, the muff punt. Jeremy Crawshaw hits a boomer. Their partner turner can't handle it. Xavier Henderson falls on it. That's a free possession for Florida – I mean, whatever they could have done to give Florida the game they did. And Florida was the least terrible team when Emery Jones came out of the game, Florida's offensive line still isn't great. They did better than I thought they were going to do. So I give them props for that. Damian Pierce, I touched on. He's a madman. Kamari Gamble, shout out to you. Your mom got to watch you play for the first time uh, this season after COVID had her hospitalized for a while. So that was nice to see you do well. And, uh, Dustin, I think that's I uh, think that's about it. I think that's about all there's to say about that game. It wasn't a game that's going to be remembered in in rivalry lore. It was a win for Florida. It sends FSU home for the holidays and sends Florida to a bowl game. Before we go on to our final word. I think it's time we point out some of FSU's accomplishments on the football field, because I know they're all down in the dumps after, you know, their team fought so hard to come back from 0-4 just to not make a bowl game anyway. Uh, I know they're very proud of that 36-year bowl streak they had, uh, that streak of winning seasons they had. So those streaks are gone now. Florida's ended them all. But I I do think it's worth making FSU fans feel just, just a little bit better by pointing out some of the streaks that they do have going for themselves. Streak number one, five consecutive six-plus loss seasons. FSU has now lost six games or more in each of the last five seasons. They were seven and six in Jimbo's last year in 2017, five and seven in 2018, six and seven in 2019, three and six in 2020, and five and seven again in 2021. On a similar note. FSU has now had four consecutive losing seasons. Four in a row. They didn't have four and eight. Florida still has that. But FSU has lost more games than they've won four consecutive seasons now. And, of course, they now have a three-game losing streak to Florida. So, yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, FSU fans. You you guys are still you guys are still, you, you guys still have some streaks going. Oh oh, and by the way, that that six plus loss season streak that's now at five. Florida's never done that ever, as in in the history of ever. Florida has never lost six plus games in five seasons in a row, and that's honestly super impressive because FSU plays in the ACC. I mean, they have, Wake was good this year, but traditionally they're terrible, and you have Wake Forest. And, and Louisville and Syracuse and Boston College built into your schedule every single year, and you have at least two, if not three cupcake games every single year. So for you to, to somehow have six-plus losses five years in a row with that schedule, oh, I mean, Godspeed, man. That's, I just, and, 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 of course, Jacksonville State. So no more four and eight jokes from y'all ever again. No more Georgia Southern jokes ever again. If Florida loses to Vanderbilt by 30 points, I still don't want to hear it ever again, because that is a half decade run of ineptitude that Florida has never had in a better conference. So I'll turn it over to Dustin. Now I've been talking long enough, but uh, yeah, that's, that's just wild.
1: Yeah, Neil, and again, just to sum up everything you said, um, Florida State has been inept, and so is Florida. I mean, to be quite honest with you, there's a reason why Dan Mullen was fired. It's because this team um, really hit its peak. I, ironically, hit its peak in a loss to Alabama, and uh, they played well against uh, Tennessee. Um, but then after that, it's just one game after another, Um, Florida continued to um, play well under the talent expected them to have. And, you know, a lot of it was due to the um, unavailability of Anthony Richardson um, for one reason or another, whether it was his um, injuries or the uh, stubbornness of Dan. Um, Nonetheless, um, it's always great to beat Florida State. I mean, you know, living in Florida, growing up in, in Florida. State's always the rival. They're always the, the number one rival. I know now there's a there's arguably a greater hatred amongst the Florida fan base against Georgia um, because obviously Georgia's really good and it's definitely a more competitive game um, unless Georgia's just beating the crap out of us like they did uh, this year. Um, now, I think we outgained them, so they didn't really beat the crap out of us. But you know what I mean. <laughs> um, had to throw that one in there. But, I mean, anytime you beat Florida State, it's a big deal. So, um, like I said before, it was great watching the game with you, Neil. It was great to see Florida beat Florida State. And uh, I'm a happy Gator. Now, I know the Gator standard is to win championships, and we're not doing that. But you got to give hats off to, to Dan. Um, him and his staff have never lost to Florida State, and uh, that's not something that we could say about um, Muschamp, and it's not something we could say about McWane. They, I, if I'm not mistaken they they lost to Florida State the majority of the time. So Only it's one good to finally have that. The two of them, uh, exactly that that 2012 win, which was nice. It was a nice victory, but we're finally beating Florida State, and that's how it should be even if florida's not even if florida is inept like they are now um it still feels great that they're the state champions and i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but we we just might have a bowl game against another florida team where we can even more so cement that that state championship so yeah neil um yeah, well, I really, I really, really, really uh, want
0: Miami in a bowl game. Otherwise, I don't see yeah. any bowl game that's going to be any fun for us. I mean, it, it'll, it'll, it'll be a Gator football game. It'll be Gator football game day. It'll be you know the same type of yeah, Gator football plays today. Let's go! But I, I want the Miami Hurricanes. I for for all all the Miami fans who who continue to cry about Florida taking the Gators off this, or for all the Miami fans who continue to cry about the Gators taking the Canes off the schedule. I'm not one of them. I I have said this many times before. I want that rivalry on a yearly basis. Obviously, that's not going to happen. So the best thing we can do is just hope to get to, you got hope to get the Canes in a bowl game when the teams uh, team seasons appear to be fairly congruent. So uh, yeah, let's let's put this game to bed, Dustin. We'll we'll have uh, plenty of time to rub it in the Knolls' faces this offseason. But as, as it pertains to the pod, we have much bigger fish to fry. Final word, Dustin, play your of the game.
1: Well, Neil, since you asked me first, I'm going to go ahead and take the most obvious person to make the player of the game, and I'm going to go with Damian Pierce. I mean, that drive, that 68-yard touchdown drive, 10 plays, that is what – I mean, obviously, Florida State, they they scored – Uh, 14 unanswered points but it was that touchdown that clinched it for the gators and part of that um i mean you just you mentioned it but but damien pierce lost his helmet and he still um continued to play and though there was obviously a penalty with that and the play didn't count he still showed how much he loves his team he showed how much he loves being a gator and I, I don't know if you could give that, that to anybody else. Um, you know, maybe you can make an argument for Anthony Richardson, a few defensive players that played well, um, but I'm going to go with Damian Pierce.
0: Hard to argue against Pierce with anyone other than the guy I'm going with, Anthony Richardson. Florida loses the game. I mean, there—it's not even a debate. Like, I—I I went, I went to that game that morning with you, Dustin. We, we drove up. We we spent the night in Ocala. I kept saying the whole way there, I don't understand why so many people are so chipper and cheery. If Emory Jones really plays the way I now think he is, Florida's going to lose, and that this this is an auto loss. He's going to give the game away, and he tried. I would, the only thing that went wrong in my. in in, in this attitude of mine was I was not counting on Greg Knox to make the quarterback change, but once he did, Richardson came in and he wasn't perfect, but he was pretty damn good. He moved the ball efficiently. He took what the defense gave him. I mean, and he, and what Emory Jones doesn't do, he let his teammates make plays for him. I mean, there, there was a third and 21 where he rolled out and he found Malik Davis on the sideline. It was good for about a, 10 11 yard gain davis broke tackles davis did what he does and he made a first down out of it emory jones doesn't deliver the ball accurately enough it 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 takes davis out of stride it's overthrown it forces davis to die for it that doesn't happen richardson puts the ball on the money to malik davis right in the chest between the two and the o on his jersey gives him a chance to make something special happen and it's a first down in florida Florida won the game because of Richardson. I don't think there's any other way to put that. It, it's it's a very very simple synopsis uh, for a lot of a lot of people. And because of FSU's in aptitude, but for one player it's got to be Richardson. So, with that said, play of the game. I let you go first for play year. I'll go first with the play of the game. Um it's got to be the onside kick because if FSU somehow executes that correctly, Florida probably loses the game because the defense was not looking so hot in the fourth quarter, and FSU still would have had two timeouts with 53 seconds. Now, I realize, honestly, kick is, is a very, very low percentage play. So I'm not choosing this as the play of the game solely because it was the final nail in Chief Osceola's skull here. I'm calling it my play of the game because of the absolutely hysterical Hysterical way in which that play went down. Parker Grothaus, Um he he just he missed it. He, he he missed it, but he didn't miss it because if he had just completely whiffed and the ball didn't move an inch, he would have gotten to re-kick it. But because like the the tip of the cleat or just the, the most outer outer edge or the most outer layer of, of plastic or rubber on his cleat just happened to graze the ball and it brushed it off the tee somehow. Because of that, the game was over. And for all that FSU did wrong, b- both in that game and all season, that was just absolutely perfect. You, you could not think of a better good night story for FSU f- than that. That was
1: just absolute perfection. So Neil, my play of the game, and there's quite a few that that are running through my mind, but I'm going to, I'm going to pick an easy one. I'm going to go with the Anthony Richardson uh, five yard touchdown pass on third and five to Justin shorter in the corner of the end zone. And I mean, I I mentioned this to you in the game. Um, Now, I've mentioned on the show before, I played quarterback in high school. One of my favorite throws to throw during practice was the fade route in the corner of the end zone. It is a very difficult throw um, because you have to get it just right. Um, you have to. It has to be uh, hard enough where it's not picked off, but it also has to be soft enough and have just enough touch so you can drop it right into a, a spot that only the receiver is going to catch it. And that's exactly what Anthony Richardson did. He threw a perfect pass, and it was caught in the corner of the end zone, and it gave Florida a touchdown. Okay, so grades. Dustin, after you. Offense, I'm going to give a C plus. I mean, the first half with Emory jones was terrible. You know, I would give I would give it a maybe a D minus or a D plus. Really the only big play was that uh, Gamble forty seven yard touchdown. Um I mean, hats off to Emory in that one play. Great throw, great catch, great scamper to the end zone. And a big one for Gamble. I mean, he's been through a lot. Um and uh if I'm not mistaken, his mother was was in the crowd to see him play. So that one was certainly special and uh, he's a player that um, I I hope he gets a chance to play in the bowl game. Um, But you know, when he moves on to bigger and better things uh, we're going to miss him. Um, So I got to give offense a C plus obviously Anthony Richardson came in, um, led this team to uh, I believe 17 points, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And we won the game and that those 17 points were 100% necessary because we only won by three. Um, as far as defense, defense played uh, pretty well, especially in the in the first uh, three quarters. Um, now at the end, you can't you can't give up what what the defense gave up. So because of that, I have to give them a uh, B minus. Uh, defense gets a B minus. Um, special teams, um, special teams wasn't wasn 't too bad I mean I, I I think I have to give him an a minus. Um, not only did we recover the uh, the muff punt, uh, which was hilarious, another hilarious play that that i i don 't believe we mentioned um, nope, I
0: did mention it. Baby Hendo was there to recover it. Shout out to him again for that
1: but that was great on top of that. Um, I know that the uh, the whiff was completely florida state 's fault but that was a crucial special teams play. And, you know, every play on the field, there was a winner and there was a loser. And yeah, Florida State's kicker made a big mistake. He accidentally touched the ball. Uh, and, but Florida still won that play. So I have to go with A minus on special teams. Um, giving him a freebie. Uh Yeah, coaching. B, I mean, we won the game. Um, there were some decisions that that I was uh, I was disappointed in. Um obviously during the game, you heard you heard me loud and clear, Neil, how much I hated that Emory Jones was still in the game. There's points where I'm like, well, if Anthony Richardson isn't healthy, then play Del Rio, play Kidna, play somebody else. Um, but I'm gonna give the coaching staff the benefit of the doubt, and I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that. Um, there was no way that Anthony Richardson could have gone in. Um and, uh, Anthony Richardson was not healthy to play the first half and the earliest he could have gone in was the second half. I'm gonna give the coaching staff the benefit of the doubt for that. Yeah. And assuming that I'm gonna go in and give the coaching a B minus. No, uh giving. Why B- would you minus. give the
0: coaching staff the benefit of the doubt there, man? That's I, I don't know. You're 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 too nice. You're you're too
1: well. Hey, too you you can you can give grades too. You can give grades too. And overall, um, right. I'm gonna give him an 82.
0: Yeah. Okay. Coaching is gonna get a lot. I, I don't think we've ever differed by as much as we're gonna differ in this game. Um, offense gets for offense gets a a C minus. I mean, it was just awful in the first half. And, and it wasn't the fault of anyone really other than than Emory Jones. I, I hate to just pile on the one guy, but, I mean, dude, three interceptions, one worse than the next. The interception in the end zone to end the first half was, was just uh, uh, unbelievable. A, a, a guy that has sat on the bench for three years and has gone through all the reps in practice, he's gone through all the reps in live games, to make that mistake, you see the guy jumping the route and cutting in front of the post route and you just, you know, fire lasers anyway, cause you don't know to look off the guy with your eyes or you don't know to go through your progression. you still do that? And again, it sucks that one guy has to ruin the whole grade for the whole unit, but yeah, I mean, he played more than half the game. So Anthony Richardson saved it. Malik Davis is a warrior. The offensive line played better than I thought it was going to. Damian Pierce, can I mean, not enough can possibly be said to to do his his warriorhood justice. But, I mean, Florida should have scored 50 points. FSU made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, and Florida couldn't even get half that. This should have been 55 to 10 or – some something in that ballpark. The three interceptions that Emory Jones threw, two of which were no, sorry, all three of which were in FSU territory, killed the Gators' opportunities to put the game away, and it c- became much more stressful than it had to be. So offense gets a C minus uh, because I mean we all we all agree AR fifteen played the way that we have expected him to play. Defense gets a B. I would have liked to have seen them play better in the fourth quarter, the, the money quarter, so to speak. But the first 45 minutes, they were great. There was, I mean, after Emory Jones was I, I really hate piling on him, man. But the the way that Emory Jones kept handing out goodies like it was Halloween still, and the defense just buckled down and stuffed them in forced punts every single time, except for one, is commendable. Uh if if the defense played the way they did against South Carolina against FSU, Florida loses the game by three touchdowns because the defense would have just said, Oh, to hell with this. Our quarterback sucks. He's given the game away. He's not doing his part. Why should we do ours? And the whole team just folds. So the defense didn't do that. So they stood tall and they, they did a good job against the mobile quarterback and Jordan Travis. So I give them a B. Oh. And of course, Brenton Cox four sacks can't just ignore that either. Special teams. I don't, I, I don't, I don't give Florida freebies. I don't give Florida credit for Parker Grothehouse striking threeing on that onside kick. Um, I mean, the, the punting was great from Jeremy Crawshaw. There was the boomer that their punt returner obviously muffed. I think it was Pokey Wilson, Ontario Wilson, that that muffed it, and Xavier Henderson recovered. He got down there quickly enough to field it. That was great. They did kick off out of bounds once. That's that's. One of the few things that that just absolutely drives me bonkers in football because that's such an easily avoidable mistake, and we did that. So that that ding's a great a bit. But and Chris Howard made his field goal. Jeremy Crosshaw was overall tremendous, and we, we were ready to pounce on that mistake that FSU had. So overall, I give special teams a B. Coaching, I, I'm going to be – a lot less nice than you were, Dustin. Um, I understand Anthony Richardson not being 100% fully healthy. He was about 70%, 75% maybe his full health. I understand starting with Emery Jones. Once the guy starts handing out lifelines back into the football game, like it's Halloween candy, there's no logical reason to leave him in the game. He Those three interceptions – In the first half, he should have thrown a fourth FSU as a team could have yelled ball, 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 ball louder, or turn around, turn around or something. The linebacker turns his head. That's the easiest of all the interceptions. And it would have been four picks from Emery Jones in 32 minutes. Why the second one, the one that was at about their 35 or their, or their 30 right along the sideline I mean, the the flea flicker one was utterly awful. Jones has to feel the pressure and then just either take the sack or take off. I can understand giving him a little more rope than just one bad throw. The instant that second ball is picked off, he should be out of the game and he should be on the bench for the rest of the day. There's no objective reason to put him out there again and let him continue to give FSU goodies. Greg Knox did he let him throw a third interception, the worst of all, in the end zone. He still left him in the game. And I, I understand. Greg Knox is thinking, well, I'm not going to be here next year. I don't, have, I, don't, I don't have a fan base to impress or win over. I don't even have a locker room to try to win over by making the right decisions. I may as well just go what I'm comfortable with and, and leave Emery in the game, let him do more damage. And then finally, the fourth should-be interception and when it hits the guy in the helmet finally he then makes the makes the move that's that's just terrible coaching man that it, it should not come to that it's after all the game tape we have seen of emery jones doing the same thing making the same mistakes not going through his progressions locking onto the first receiver not knowing what kind of ball to throw whether you know a lob a rainbow or a laser or a bullet you know not knowing that never i mean never feeling the game at the speed at which it happens. I mean, the game comes too slowly to him. He just doesn't feel it at the speed at which it actually happens. We've seen so many pieces of game tape of that to continue to ride this guy. is just mind boggling, but he did make the switch. He did pull him. So he gets some credit for that. Um, I, I, I would have gone for it actually on fourth down, believe it or not. Uh, late in the game, with about five minutes to go, I would have tried to put the game away as the interim coach. I would have said, yeah, let's let's cut the head off here. Let's just be done with it. He didn't, but I could understand that. Other than that, there wasn't really any coaching miscue I could point to. Um, but I'm going to give the coaching a C- minus also because it was just so egregious to leave Emery in the game for as long as he did. Overall, I'm going to give – here's where I'll be nice – I'll give Florida 10 bonus points for beating a rival. I was otherwise going to give Florida a, a 70 grade, and I'm going to give them an 80 because they beat their rival FSU, and they gave us bragging rights, and that, that means something. So with that said, Dustin, we have uh, bigger fish to fry. Let's talk about the guy who's going to be leading us Next year, we talked about Greg Knox, the interim head coach who led us against FSU, but we have someone else who's going to be leading us on a more permanent basis, beginning with the 2022 opener against Utah. His name is Billy Napier, as y'all have undoubtedly heard several hundred times by now. He is the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns head coach. He is famous for his attention to detail, his recruiting... um, I I wouldn't even call it a a passion. It's about twenty steps beyond. He he lives, breathes, and sleeps recruiting. And there's an offensive pedigree there that I think has a lot of people rightfully excited. Uh, but I won't give anything everything away at once, Dustin. I've been talking plenty. So what is the what is the one thing? I know there are a lot of things, but what is the one thing about Billy Napier that sticks out to you above all else, and why does that? one thing make you excited to have him as the Gators new head coach?
1: Billy Napier is great with people. He's very humble. He's very down to earth. He's soft-spoken. He's a guy that, that, uh, that you could go, you know, grab a drink with or, or, um, you know, go play softball with. And I think, I think that is something that is definitely a welcome change from, the last two coaches that the Florida's had. Um, and I think that'll, that'll really go a long way in Napier um, building the culture and building the recruiting infrastructure that Florida needs to have to get back as a top five team in the nation.
0: Yeah, Hard to disagree with that. Um, so the, the, yeah, I mean he's he's definitely better with people than Dan Mullen is. I mean there there were warnings about Dan Mullen uh, going go even going back to the autobiography that Urban wrote um, called Urban's Way, where he pointed out that Tim Tebow did not like Dan Mullen, and they had to overcome the problem of the potential offensive coordinator slash QB coach relationship to get Tim to Florida. Like we we should have, we should have all read that and known that this was going to be a problem and seen it coming. Billy Napier is not only an upgrade over Dan Mullen in that aspect, he is probably diametrically opposed in that sense. He, he loves recruiting, which you cannot be good at if you are not good with people. He loves connecting with mothers, with fathers, with younger younger siblings, older siblings. He loves to relate to these people in all the ways he possibly can. He finds their interests and he talks to them about their interests. I mean, I don't have any reason to believe that Billy Napier enjoys building Barbie dolls, but if he's in the living room of a high four-star recruit, who's down to Florida, Georgia, Auburn, and Clemson, and that recruit has a little sister in the room I'm going to bet that he's going to strike up a conversation with her and ask her all about the, the different possibilities. I don't know about Barbies. You, you get the point. He's going to talk Barbie with a with a five-year-old girl if that's what he has to do to get a recruit because he likes to do it because it comes naturally to him. He understands different people's not, – not necessarily their, their, um, their hobbies, but he understands – Well, I guess so. He he understands their interests. And I think he genuinely enjoys talking to other people about what makes them feel good and what makes them feel useful in some cases and just what makes them happy. And even if he'll never see that five-year-old little sister of the recruit again, he's built a relationship there. He's put an impression into the parents' minds like, wow, this guy actually cares about all of us. He's put the impression into the mind of the player to be like, wow, the guy cares about my little sister. He's, he's talking to her. He's making her feel like she's a part of the whole thing there. He just likes getting along with people. That is the precise opposite of Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen got along with people because he had to get along with them. Billy Napier gets along with people because he he genuinely enjoys it. And that's something that I think is going to, among other things, pay dividends on the recruiting trail for Florida. And, that, and that'll lead you into the thing you want to talk about most. Recruiting. Dustin, you recruiting, Dustin Smith and recruiting. Those are two uh two two phrases that go together very well. So I, I think the, the recruiting question to start with you on is there's very little time between right now and the early signing period start, and even National Signing Day in February is only a couple months away. I think the obvious ideal answer here would be, well, he's going to try to salvage this class and get a jump start on 23 and maybe even start building 24, but there's only so much time left. So where do you think, and and with Florida's recruiting class right now in such shambles, where do you think he begins to go about the process of fixing that.
1: So, Neil, I I think it's all of the above. I think Billy Napier wants to uh, nail this this um, recruiting class. The the obviously early signing day is coming up, but he's going to do all he can to convince players that are on the fence to consider waiting to February. I mean, if you look back to what he did. During his initial class at Louisiana, he convinced a lot of players to wait until February. In fact, and again, I don't think this, I'm going to preface by saying this is not something I expect to happen this time around, but his first recruiting class at Louisiana was actually the first year or the first cycle that had an early signing day. And he encouraged all of his all of his uh, eventual signees to wait till the uh, the regular signing day in February, and that's what happened. All of his signees signed in February. They did not participate in early signing day. And I'm not saying he's necessarily going to encourage players to do that. Um, but I believe he's going to go out of his way to make sure that he can make this. 2020 class a, a splash class do I have expectation that this is going to be a top 10 class of course not I mean by by sheer numbers alone we all expected this class to be relatively small I think for, without you know we'll we'll certainly have an episode down the line where pretty much all we talk about is recruiting um, and, and what the roster looks like and what attrition looks like and this and that but the way I'm looking at it, this cycle we're probably going to see uh, 17 to 19 guys signed by the time it's all said and done. So even at its high end, I don't think this class is going to get any higher than the 15 to 14 mark. But that's okay because right now the class is sitting in the 30s and it's not looking good. I mean, we, we're we're continuing to to uh, lose players and um. You know uh i hope we get more back in the mix um i know uh shamar james is is showing some interest Um isaiah bond who i think will eventually end up at alabama um he's entertaining visits even um singletary somebody that i thought shut his recruiting down is committed to georgia um he's he had an in-home visit with some of the the coaching staff now a lot of these coaching staff members I expect won't be part of the staff anymore. So unfortunately will the, would that specific bridge be burned when, when that coach is eventually let go from what I anticipate probably, but there is still recruiting happening. And I think Billy Napier is going to establish a plan and he's going to uh, salvage the class as best as he can. Um, Any coach that quits in a class or any coach that immediately looks to the 2023, they're not coming in with a champion mindset. And from what I've seen with Billy Napier, from what I've seen and what he did at Louisiana, and something very quickly I want to address, um, at Louisiana, uh, not only did he bring that program to the number one recruiting class in the Sun Belt um, by by, I believe, either year three or year two, which is amazing. I believe it's either one or two in in year two. Um, But he did that with a limited uh, number of scholarships because the previous coach before Napier at Louisiana committed some NCAA violations, and it severely reduced the amount of scholarships available to the team. So he overcame that and still uh, had one of the top recruiting classes in year two in the Sun Belt, and most certainly in year three and in year four had the number one recruiting class in the Sun Belt. And it's, I'm excited, Neil. I know you know me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop now, but you know that I could go on for hours and hours about Billy Napier, his, uh, his recruiting talent. Um, the, not just that, but he's very smart at putting his staff together. And he's, he's very smart at creating balance in his staff, balance with specific people who are geared to specific regions, also balancing the staff with some of the more senior members who are going to add the years of experience and football knowledge, and then also have some of the younger guys, even some of the names that have, that have leaked out, uh, with potentially being the defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator, somebody like Doug Belk or, or Tom Herman, those two guys are going to be incredible on the recruiting trail. You think a five-star quarterback is going to want to come to Florida with Tom Herman at the helm? Now, again, it's just a rumor. It's just speculation. He may very well not be the coach. And by the time you hear that, it may be confirmed he's not going to be the coach. But somebody like that coming into a five-star quarterback's living room, along with Billy Napier, you think that guy's not going to take a look at Florida? Of course he is. And I think this is something that Billy Napier is going to be installing uh, as he develops this program the right way. And what is the right way? The right way starts at the recruiting trail, building a foundation of players that, that, you know, I know I'm going to say it until Billy Napier comes out with a, with a, uh, a splash tagline besides scared money. Don't make money. Um, but the Gator standard, the Gator standard is top five recruiting classes competing for national championships. And uh, it starts in that order. So Neil, I know uh, not to steal your line, but I've, I've been talking long enough. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah. Two men pods do tend to lead to uh, long monologues. Um, I, so I think the, the name of the game with Billy Napier is, Okay, what does he bring to the table that Dan Mullen doesn't? Because when Florida got Dan Mullen, the fan base was understandably excited about a number of things that he was going to bring to the table, like the of uh, the the X- nose mind that he brings in game action, the development of his quarterbacks, which, you know we all know is elite, we saw from. Going back to Josh Harris, to uh, Alex Smith, to Tim Tebow, a little bit with Cam Newton, to Dak Prescott, and then to Kyle Trask, we got you know we knew what we were getting with him in in those senses. Dan Mullen also left a lot of boxes unchecked. He was the safe hire because the floor was at least we thought pretty high. This guy that we just brought in, Billy Napier, checks some of the boxes that Dan Mullen does not check, such as recruiting. We knew Dan Mullen was not going to be a great recruiter. We thought he'd be okay, and I think he was okay, at least until things came off the rails. Uh, I mean, he, he landed two top 10 classes back-to-back. That's that's fine. It's not elite, but it, it's fine. Um, but he this guy, Billy Napier, is a tremendous recruiter. He has dominated the Sun Belt on the recruiting trail. He's got the offensive pedigree. It, he doesn't have the quarterback tutelage in his background that Mullen has, but he's worked a lot with wide receivers before. I mean, he's responsible for developing Amari Cooper, Christian Jones, our Darius Stewart, uh, Calvin Ridley, and, and all the other Alabama receivers from 2013 to 2016. So I don't think he'll work directly with the guys at the position that he came up coaching the way that Dan Mullen did, but I suspect that he will oversee great wide receiver play and great quarterback play. He will have a great passing offense for the Gators. I don't know if he can do it at the Power 5 level. That's the big box that he does not check that Dan Mullen did. Dan Mullen wasn't exactly at a Blue Blood program, but he had, A, been at Florida before for four years and won two national titles, And, B, he'd been at Mississippi State for almost a decade, nine years. And he did pretty well there. He's their second winningest coach ever. So we'd seen him do it. We'd seen him lead a lower-tier Power 5 program to heights that it had seldom seen before. Billy Napier might be another Nick Saban because we don't have any evidence to say he is not. He is 42 years old. Billy Napier has won more at Louisiana than most. He has won the Sunbelt Western Division all four years he's been there. He won the conference title in his third year. He might do it again on Saturday. He's, I mean, I would not be surprised if he does, given that Louisiana clobbered Appalachian State by four touchdowns when they played them in the regular season. Um, and he's, he's done as well as anyone could have expected Louisiana to do with him but he still does not have any head coaching experience in the power five. So I think this is going to be a process. I I am prepared to be patient with him. I'm not expecting a national championship, an SEC championship, a CFP berth. I'm not even expecting a New Year's Six Bowl in his first year. I'm expecting him to tear apart the infrastructure that Mullen built. We can call it an infrastructure and replace it with a real infrastructure one that's made of concrete, not quicksand. I'm expecting him to not just slap a Band-Aid over the obvious problems that are going on behind the scenes, say, okay, well, the offensive line sucks, so let, let's just call screen plays and swing plays and quick passes and options and, and take them out of the equation as much as we possibly can. No, I expect him to address each and everything that is wrong with this program step-by-step patch up every crack, and you know, orchestrate surgery where it's needed as opposed to just putting scotch tape over a bullet wound, as I previously said, if you, you laughed at that, Dustin Saul. I'll, I'll use that again. He's going to do things the right way, which is going to be the long way. It's going to be the more difficult way, and it's, it's going to be the way that I think does not yield results as quickly as everybody wants. I think there's going to be a good amount of cleansing, in this program where he's going to weed out the players that for one reason or another, he does not want to be here or, or he, or he just doesn't see using on a consistent basis on the field. So I'm prepared to see him experiment with some different types of personnel. I'm, I'm prepared to see him experiment with different, different types of offenses. Even I don't think he has a true preferred offense. I mean he he's done some pistol in the past. He he does do some options occasionally. He's done some I mean some of his offense have looked kind of air raidish. So I I don't know if he knows exactly what he wants quite yet. And I don't know that what we saw at Louisiana can tell us what he wants because at Louisiana, he does not have the personnel that he's going to have at Florida where he's going to have five-star receivers who are 6'4 and 195 of pure muscle and who can jump 30 feet off the ground. Not really, but you know what I mean? The the cream of the crop, the five-star athletes, the guys who are winning all the battles at their – at their school's camps. So, we'll see. But I'm expecting there to be an installation process that takes a couple of years.
1: Yeah, Neil. And, you know, you know how much I've been following his offense. And you're right. I mean, he he's a coach who definitely wants to be multiple in, in the type of, of formations and route trees and and uh schemes that he wants to do um and of course definitely stay tuned to in all kinds of weather.com because in the coming weeks i'm going to be putting out an article which will break down specific plays and specific concepts that are consistent with how uh billy napier um coaches his offense and of course he was offensive coordinator for for a stint at arizona state and there's a lot that we can glean from that um and though he wasn't of course he was the head coach at louisiana it was still his offense that was being ran at louisiana so there's a lot that we can glean from that as well Um, but ultimately i can say this billy napier is a guy that wants to score points he's a guy who believes in throwing the ball Um, he loves taking shots in fact, uh, I can recall very distinctly a, a press conference or a, um, a post game that he that he did with with some of the media, and he says, "Hey, man, I, I wish I would have thrown the ball down the field a little bit more today." And that's a that's a um, a welcome change, um, considering how uh, how tired I've been of of all the little dink and dunk and, and uh screen plays that Florida's done. Um, I think when you when you throw the ball downfield and you take shots it really takes the edge off the defense because the defense has to cover the whole field and that opens up the run game and if you look at the uh the offense um louisiana has run the ball effectively i think i think part of their their running numbers has a lot to do with the fact that their quarterback while he's experienced he's not necessarily the most talented guy um i think it shows kind of the floor with how Florida can do from an offensive standpoint, I think with the with the type of talent that's in the state of Florida, with the type of talent that that Billy Napier can recruit, and just going off a list, some of the guys that he's brought uh, to uh, some of the guys that he's recruited from, you know, both Alabama and Clemson, respectively. You have Taj Boyd, um, the quarterback. You have Jared Judy, um, incredible wide receiver Calvin Ridley. Um, just to name a few, a couple other guys that are, that are just amazing. Um, but he, he, He's recruited these guys, and I expect these to be the types of players that, that he's going to be able to bring to Florida, considering the type of program that Florida is and the type of talent he has at recruiting. And with the Todd Boyds and the Calvin Ridleys and the Jerry Judys of the world – he is going to be able to create an offense that is high flying. Do, do I think that Billy Napier is the Steve Spurrier? I'm going to score fifty to seventy points every game. I don't think so. But do I think that Billy Napier is um, going to shy away from scoring as much as possible as long as it's the right thing? Obviously, if you're if you're uh, up by a certain amount, you got you got to make decisions. You can't you know you can't be so aggressive that you're hurting your defense. Um, I think Billy Napier is going to, going to bring bring a nice offense to, to Florida. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned pistol. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of spread elements, but really the the base of the Billy Napier offense is something that you would see in the NFL, something that you would see. Um, you know, I mean, you, you look at what, what, um, the new England Patriots run, uh, you, you know, they're. Potentially, you could look at the Rams and what they run, the L.A. Rams. I mean, you see bits and pieces of that particular offense um, all over the country. So um, I'm excited, Neil. I'm really glad that we got Billy Napier. I know people were throwing around the name Fickle. Uh, my two drawbacks to him, number one, he's a, he's a uh, Midwestern guy, doesn't really have the pipeline um, down in the South that Billy Napier has. And number two, he's a defensive guy. You know, at Florida, we want offensive guys, and I think Billy Napier is the offensive guy to lead the Gators back to the promised land. And we'll get to expectations in a little bit, but I'll just say that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, Napier is definitely a riskier hire than Dan Mullen, as I said earlier. But I think that the positives that he does bring are so are so hope inducing that I'm willing to take the gamble. He was my first choice to replace Dan Mullen. As I wrote, um, and I wrote the article about the the five top choices, my five top choices to replace Dan Mullen. He's number one because I, I don't want to just keep slapping band-aids over bullet hole wounds anymore. I don't want the quick fix guy, the guy that can come in and win now up for a year or two years or three years at most, and then just implode. I mean, every four years, there is a nuclear bomb that goes off over this program's head 13, 17, and now 21. It's really annoying. I'd rather not have that every fourth year. I would rather have a rough takeoff, and a bumpy takeoff maybe go eight and four, nine and three, while behind the scenes, the infrastructure stuff is getting fixed. The facilities are coming along. That's great. That that's, that's great. But it doesn't fix all the problems. There needs to be a complete overhaul as to how the University of Florida recruits. Now, I don't remember who it was exactly that said this, but the number... Of dollars that the University of Florida spending being lower than Georgia's and FSU's and LSU's in Ohio State's is not totally accurate because the University of Florida does have three private jets. Someone said, I, I, it might've been, it might've been Nick Dillatorre uh, on a Twitter space one time. Some Someone, so, someone who gets, uh, might've been, one of the Stadium and Gale guys. Anyway, point yeah, no, Nick does work for Stadium and Gale. But point, point being, the University of Florida has three private jets that you know they don't have to pay for it every time they want to take it somewhere around the country to go recruit someone. So that does make that stat a little bit misleading. But there needs to be an attitude change as to how the Florida Gators recruit. It needs to be something that you want to talk about 365 days a year. Yes, I understand Mullen was not saying – I do not recruit during football season. He was saying, I'm not going to talk about recruiting right now. I want someone and, and we got someone that is going to be proud to talk about what he's doing on the recruiting trail. And look, if that is going to require sweeping the leg out from this current program's personnel and just completely starting from scratch. Okay, fine. Give me the guy who has, Recruited some of the best talent in the country. By the way, Jerry Judy never actually played for Napier at Alabama, but he did recruit him for a little while, so he does get credit for that, um, at least somewhat. Um, give me the guy who wants to build the program in his image and let him let him build it for a couple of years before we judge him. That's that's really all I want to I want to make clear to Gator fans listening to this. I I don't want a first or second year that is New Year six ish national championship contender ish only for it to just bottom out in year three or year four. I think Florida hired Napier specifically to avoid that. This is a long-term hire, not unlike the last time Florida hired a guy named Billy to coach one of their major sports, Billy Donovan, obviously, you know, very different football, basketball, not by any means the same thing. Um, but he, this is a young guy who has been at a smaller school for only a few years, been very successful there, has shown enough promise that Florida was willing to make an investment in him for the long term. So I think that this is going to be a hire that we're going to appreciate more as time goes on. I think we're going to remain somewhat skeptical about it as a fan base. We're going to remain in undecided mode for at least a year or two, I think by year three or four, we're going to start, we're going to start uh, pulling out some of the fruits from this endeavor. So Dustin, let's, let's end the pod by making some long-term predictions that we can one day look back upon and, or, or listen back upon, I guess, cause this is audio only and hopefully be very proud of. So we're going to, I have, I have five quick topics, five quick types of predictions that we're going to go through uh, we're going to do another session of, of vine talk. So 10 seconds or less for each of these, Dustin. Um, first prediction. How many years do you think Billy Napier coaches the Florida Gator football team?
1: 10, 10 years.
0: You're allowed 10 seconds.
1: I'm going to say 10 years.
0: Okay. I'm going to say 16, which would be a record. The longest tenured Florida Gators head coach. I, I just think he's here for the long haul. I, I don't think he would have taken this job if he wasn't. So that's one question or prediction. Number two, does he win a national championship with the Florida Gators? Or does he win multiple national championships with the Gators?
1: I'm gonna say two things. Number one, I'm gonna say scared money and don't make money, and because of that, he's gonna win multiple national championships with the Florida Gators. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and say that he will win more national championships than any other coach in the Florida in Florida Gator history. And the number to beat is, of course, two that Urban Meyer won. So three He's gonna win at least three natties.
0: I don't think. I think you're quite. I think you're more optimistic than I am. I'm not quite as. I'm not quite as bullish as you are. Um, I'll say he'll match Spurrier. He'll get one national championship. He'll win. A, he'll win a string of SEC titles. But putting putting my forecasting hat on because it's the in all kinds of weather forecast. Putting my forecasting hat on, I think Ohio State is going to become a national threat the way Alabama is when Nick Saban retires. I think they'll become what Alabama is now. They'll be harder to out. They'll they'll be harder to, to dethrone once Alabama is gone and they don't keep monopolizing all the recruits. So I'll say he'll win four SEC titles. He'll win one national title. Prediction number three. Do you think Florida will land more than one meaning two or more. Do you think Florida will land two or more consensus number one recruiting classes in the country with Napier? Yes. Wow. Okay. He's, he's at the right school to do it. Florida with all its resources, all the, all the talent that's in that state, all the different areas in that state that have talent does make it easy, but i I think he'll get one. That's why I asked more than one. I think at some point he will pull in the top class in the country. I don't see him doing it twice. That's prediction number three. Prediction number four. Do you think when it is all said and done that the Florida Gators will look back on this hire and say, we got it right?
1: Um. I think regardless of what happens with Napier, I think Florida will have the opportunity to say they got it right.
0: Well, that's not what I'm asking. I'm, I'm asking no, – all right, I'll, I'll ask it again. When it, is, when, it is, when, it is, when it is all said and done 30, 40 years in the future and Florida Gator fans are sipping a beer on their porch and just watching the sunset over a lake, will Billy Napier be remembered as a success? At the University of Florida or a failure? Or neither, like just somewhere in the middle.
1: I think it'll be looked at as a success.
0: One sentence, tell me why.
1: Well, again, I know that I know that it's um we're obviously making predictions and there's a lot of unknown, but Billy Napier has all the right intangibles to be a storied coach at the University of Florida and really his career will be determined by his aspirations it does he is Florida a place that he wants to stay at for the rest of his career and does he want to continue to build this and and uh, you know winning one or two national championships would that be enough? And will he want to do something different like coaching the NFL or maybe, um, you know, would he, again, the, the question, there's a question out there and I think it's very unlikely, but I would assume that when Alabama, if, if he does happen to be successful at Florida, I would assume that Alabama would at least give him an offer when Nick Saban retires. Um, I do think Alabama is the kind of program that would try to poach another national coach. Um, So that's something to think about. Uh, There's a lot that could happen, Um, but I think ultimately Napier will go down as a success.
0: I agree with you. I think he will win one national championship. And to me, if you win a single national championship, you cannot be, remembered as a failure and i say that knowing what happened at Ordron at lsu and gene Chiswick at auburn they brought their programs national championships they have to be remembered as successes national championships are the you, you can't do any better than that you can you cannot possibly do any better so and they were both undefeated national championship at that so particularly if he wins an if he wins a national championship as an undefeated team he'll go down as a success i think he'll do it at 14 and one but To me, you win an Addy, you're golden. So I think you will go down as a success. And the last prediction, Dustin, does scared money make money?
1: Well, if uh, if we're abiding by what Coach Napier said, scared money indeed doesn't make money. So by process of deduction, I'm going to say, Neil, no, it doesn't make money. I think you would agree. Scare money, don't make money.
0: I love that quote. I realize <laughs> it's something that if if he goes five and seven his first year could be used against him very very easily by Georgia fans. But you know, with his record being zero and zero, I am absolutely in love with that statement.
1: Um, I just, honestly, deal. You know, I still want the I want the full presser. I want to see the whole the whole. Uh, slew of of discussion because I literally I've only seen literally a six second video with just scare money don't make money that's all I've seen so um, if you're listening to this and and you want to shoot me a DM um, with the full video and you have it uh, send it my way I love to watch it. All right, man. Well, I think that is a show we we
0: we broke the ice with our new head coach Billy Napier. We talked about the florida gators getting bragging rights over the florida state seminoles that's great but dustin we have a brighter future to look forward to than i think a lot of us thought we were going to have about two weeks ago even so when when we say in all kinds of weather it was looking pretty cloudy there around mid-november when south carolina was done blowing us out and sanford was done breaking their records against us in the swamp We thought, oh, this is not going to be very good the next couple of years. The program is in a a spiral. And then the spiral continued to a point where Scott Strickland had no choice but to make a move. Side note, I have not forgotten that Scott Strickland certainly appears to have covered up a lot of information about the women's basketball program. I do not believe he should be let off the hook for that. Independent of that, I think he made the best hire that he could have possibly made. I am happy with this particular thing that he did. I give him credit for that. This was definitely a hire that I am on board with. So let's just put that out there before we call it a show, Dustin. uh, It's been fun, man. We got a bulgin to talk about something that the the podcast over in Tallahassee do not get to do now, but. We will be back to preview that. We'll be back to talk more recruiting with the early signing day, which I don't think is going to be as big for Florida as it usually is, because I think a lot of guys are now going to be waiting for the residual signing day in February. But until then, you have any 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 last words to cap the pod?
1: Why, Neil? Yes, I do. Not only did we beat Florida, we got a new coach who looks to be. Uh he looks to be the coach we need. <laughs> so, Neil, it's been a long time coming. You ready for it? I don't think you're ready for it, Neil. We we all Go are. Gators! Go Gators!
0: Woo! Nope, da, no, 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 no. Go nope, nope, Gators Dustin wasn't good enough. As loud as you can. Go Gators! Woo! Dan dun, 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 dun go go gators, gators. dan go gators dan dun, 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 dun
1: come on, gators, get up and go, man, I've been waiting so long to bring that one
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been a rough season guys, but in all kinds of weather we stuck together, and we got a win over f s u for Darn right. That does yep. it, y'all. If you, if you liked our show, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. We would definitely appreciate that. Hit that subscribe button as well so you can get our shows right on your phone. Dustin, in all kinds of weather, we will all stick together. It does appear that we're getting some nice weather ahead. So Well, here's well more just, real
1: quick, just real quick, PSA, Louisiana is playing Appalachian State in uh, Billy Napier's last game as the coach of the Raging Cajun. So um, though the Gators aren't in a conference championship, stay tuned to what Billy and the boys do.
0: I want to tell everybody to go watch that game, but unfortunately it's at the same time as Jackson State SWAC championship game. And I, I can't, I can't abandon my boy, James Houston. Everyone else is going to be watching uh, Louisiana against Appalachian state. I'll keep an eye on it. I'll have it on the iPad for sure. I'm going to watch you know. my boy go for a got conference to- title. So hey, gotta do what you got to do. They'll both be on at the same time. I'm not going to, it's not going to be six. It's not, it's not going to be an either or I'm going to watch them both, but James, I, I mean, I've known James far longer than I know Billy Napier. So he gets the big, TV. Oh, sure.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh good decision. That's a, that's a, that's a very wise decision on your part. And um, let's call it a show, man. What a, what a good one. Finally, finally some, some positivity to discuss. Yes,
0: sir. Go Gators. Go Gators.